1: This episode features discussion of drug use and natural disasters that some people may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised, especially for children under 13.
0: It was almost 100 degrees on June 18th, 2013, 21-year-old firefighter, Brendan McDonough, was on a hillside setting dry brush aflame with a blowtorch.
1: Brendan was a second-season member of the Granite Mountain Hotshots, an elite team of wilderness firefighters based out of Prescott, Arizona. It might seem counterproductive for him to be setting things ablaze, but there was a method to Brendan's apparent madness. About a mile off, a ferocious wildfire was ripping through the mountains. Brendan and his crewmate, 30-year-old Chris McKenzie, were working to contain the blaze with a controlled burn. Using their torches, they reduced small patches of brush to ashes, destroying the fuel that the larger fire needed to survive.
0: Unfortunately for Brendan and Chris, the wildfire was moving toward them faster than they expected. And before they could finish the job, it was upon them. Walls of fire 20 to 30 feet high billowed through the trees, lighting up the brush in the clearing. Brendan worked faster, wanting to finish the controlled burn, but Chris shouted at him to stop and throw his torch into the approaching blaze.
1: This was not a good sign. A firefighter's torch is like a pistol in a gun battle, his best means of defense against a hostile foe. The only reason Chris would tell Brendan to pitch it was if the fire was getting too close. Extreme heat could cause the canister to blow up in Brendan's face.
0: Brendan followed his crewmates' instructions. As their propane tanks exploded in the blaze, he tailed Chris down to their planned escape route, only to discover the brush was too dense to break through. They shoved at the branches with all their might, desperate to escape as the raging wildfire barreled toward them. Suddenly, Brendan heard a rushing sound, like the roar of a freight train. It was the first time he'd ever heard it, but he knew immediately what it meant. He and his crewmate were about to be burned alive. Welcome to Survival, a ParCast Original. I'm your host, Irma Blanco.
1: And I'm Tim Johnson. Every Monday, we'll take you inside incredible true stories of life or death situations. You can find episodes of Survival and all other Parcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Survival for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Survival in the search bar.
0: At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter. At Parcast Network.
1: And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five star review wherever you're listening. It really does help.
0: This is our first episode on the Yarnell Hill Fire. Sparked by a lightning strike in the Arizona mountains on June 28, 2013, Yarnell Hill initially seemed like a small and relatively easy to control blaze. But unusual weather combined with extreme drought conditions whipped the flames into a 2,000 degree inferno in which 19 hotshots tragically lost their lives. This week, we'll meet Granite Mountain hotshot Brendan McDonough, a recovering addict who joined the crew for a chance at personal redemption. We'll see how the intense training and team environment prepared him to face a blaze that nearly claimed his life. Finally, we'll see how that moment was eclipsed by a catastrophe 12 days later, when Brendan and his crewmates faced a wildfire raging out of control. Northern Arizona is a dramatic landscape marked by rust-red mountains, vibrant forest, and stunning natural landmarks like the world-famous Grand Canyon.
1: It's also one of the most dangerous places in the country for wildfires. Expansive development, extreme drought conditions, and a lack of public awareness combine to ignite thousands of deadly blazes every year.
0: Despite the peril, thousands of new residents flock to the region annually to enjoy life in its gorgeous natural surroundings. In 2006, soon-to-be hotshot Brendan McDonough was among them. Brendan was 13 years old when he arrived in the quaint former mining town of Prescott, Arizona. His mother was out much of the time for work and personal reasons, and his father lived thousands of miles away. As a result, Brendan came of age with very little adult supervision. By the time he entered his senior year in 2008, he was making a living as a drug dealer. He was addicted to alcohol. He was also addicted to multiple illegal substances. Now, Despite his self-destructive lifestyle, Brendan harbored a secret desire to do good in the world. Even more, he longed for a family, a group of people who loved him, with whom he could be himself. These two desires combined into a burning wish to become a firefighter, a vocation Brendan hoped would provide both the opportunities and the support he desperately longed for.
1: Becoming a firefighter wasn't just a matter of filling out an application. It required specialized training, physical aptitude, and a passing score on several difficult exams. Brendan was eager to take on the challenge. He had taken a wildland firefighting class in which he studied the basics of flame suppression and containment. After graduation, he enrolled in an EMT course, where he practiced skills such as CPR and first response treatment for basic injuries.
0: But keeping up with his EMT studies while working odd jobs to support himself soon overwhelmed him. He was still struggling with addiction and a lifelong difficulty with studying, making things even more complicated. In 2010, Brendan learned that a former girlfriend was pregnant with his baby. Brendan knew what it was like growing up without a father and he was determined not to make his child go through the same experience. In late 2010, Brendan applied to be a firefighter with a local department, but a typo on the application caused him to be disqualified. He searched for a day job elsewhere, but was continually denied. No matter what he did to prove that he wanted to turn his life around, no one would give him a shot all these frustrations came to a head when his daughter Michaela was born in March 2011. Looking into her eyes, the 19-year-old father felt like such a failure that he went into a downward spiral. He eventually became homeless and even sold his car to buy heroin.
1: To many observers, Brendan's failings may seem like his own fault, but in fact, his struggle proves the critical importance of community to human success. Survivalist Kyleen Jones writes that, generally speaking, survival rates significantly increase when a group of people work together. The benefits of the group might mean the difference between life and death. In Brendan's case, he clearly felt a lack of community in his life. He had no one to turn to for advice or support when things got tough. As a result, he fell into self-destructive habits that could have indeed resulted in his death.
0: But love for his daughter inspired him to do whatever it took to not let that happen. In June of 2011, just two months after Michaela's birth, Brendan heard of another job opening in the Granite Mountain Hotshots.
1: This was a major step up for the aspiring applicant. Hotshots are to firefighting what Navy SEALs are to the military. They battle wildland blazes, often hiking miles into the mountains with their gear and camping out until the work is done. They have to be extremely tough, physically fit, and well-trained to survive the rigors of the job.
0: However, Brendan was not ideal hotshot material in his current condition. He was six feet tall, but weighed only 145 pounds. He likely still had illegal substances in his system. Even so, the 19-year-old addict was so hungry to be part of a team that he braved the skeptical looks of the veteran firefighters to enter the station and ask for a job. The hotshot at the desk took one look at Brendan and told him all positions were filled. But as the dejected young man was on his way out, someone called for him to stop. It was the hotshot's founder and superintendent, 41-year-old Eric Marsh. Broad shouldered and intelligent, with a calm and masterful demeanor, Eric was a veteran specialist in fuels management. He'd lobbied for years to get the funding to start the Granite Mountain Hotshots, and he handpicked every member to build the most effective wildfire fighting team in the nation. Eric knew better than to base hiring decisions on a first impression. Despite Brendan's unimpressive appearance, Eric greeted him politely and asked if he could interview on the spot. The teenager nervously agreed. Eric offered him a seat in the common room and proceeded to ask Brendan about himself with a group of hotshots listening.
1: The questions were fairly standard interview material, but for someone with Brendan's checkered background, they weren't easy to answer. The superintendent asked if he had a driver's license. Brendan said it was suspended, but promised he was taking care of the problem. Eric then asked if he'd ever done drugs. Brendan admitted that he had, but insisted that he'd never taken anything serious.
0: Brendan sensed the hotshot's skepticism rising. He started to feel like a fool. Who was he kidding? He wasn't a hero like these men. He was a loser, a washout who couldn't even take care of his own child. He told Eric and the crew that he had made a lot of bad mistakes in his life but he had a daughter now and he needed a second chance to become a father she could be proud of. This admission struck a chord with the superintendent. Eric looked at Brendan steadily for a moment as if measuring his potential. At last he decided to give the young man a shot. Brendan nearly fainted with relief. He was overwhelmed with gratitude for his new supervisor and vowed never to let Eric or his crewmates down.
1: He started training with the hotshots immediately, hiking several miles a day with a 45-pound backpack and doing 10K runs in the 100-degree heat. This turned out to be even harder than it sounded, since Brendan was both out of shape and going through withdrawal. From one moment to the next, his body threatened to collapse.
0: Brendan's new supervisor and mentor, Eric, was stern but understanding. When the rookie lagged behind on a run, Eric would fall in beside him and encourage him to finish for his daughter's sake. The rest of the crew was less forgiving. They gave Brendan 40 pound jugs of water to carry along with his heavy backpack, daring him to give up they mocked Brendan with the nickname Donut, saying the reason he was so slow was that he was an obese man trapped in a scrawny body. One hotshot in particular, a 28-year-old tough guy named Chris McKenzie, heckled the rookie without mercy. But Brendan stuck with it. As the months pass, he grew stronger and more confident. He experienced his first fires and learned the skills and strategies to fight them and he grew closer to Eric and his crewmates, even his former tormentor Chris. They became the father and brothers he'd never had.
1: This bonding process turned out to be far more important than Brendan realized. For years, Eric had predicted that a major wildfire would scour the Prescott area. He trained his team relentlessly so that when the time came, they would be ready. Finally, they got the call on June 18, 2013, to assist with the 7,000-acre dosi Fire on Granite Mountain.
0: Brendan was amped about the challenge. Now 21 years old, he was in his second season as a Granite Mountain hotshot. But this was his first chance to defend his own home. He wanted to prove to people who knew him, especially his two-year-old daughter, that he was no longer the drug-addled mess he used to be. Eric, Chris, and the other hotshots were likewise energized by the thought of protecting their home turf. They set to their task with gusto, clearing a path of brush along the mountain to deprive the blaze of fuel.
1: This was called building a fire line, and it was a tough and dirty job. It required digging up hundreds of yards of earth, cutting down trees with chainsaws, and hauling away brush by hand. But the firefighters knew it was a critical first step to controlling what might become a deadly disaster. Once the line was cleared, Brendan and Chris were ordered to head up the trail and start a controlled burn. The goal was to eliminate even more debris to further contain the flames.
0: Brendan and Chris had long gotten past the hazing phase in their relationship, and by now, they were a dynamic team. Even so, they quickly realized that they had started their job too late. The wildfire was racing down the hill toward them. Within minutes, their position would be overrun. Chris shouted at Brendan to throw his torch into the fire. Brendan obeyed and followed his crewmate toward their escape route sweat was pouring down his face his eyes burned so badly he could barely see but even so brendan could tell that the fire was outpacing them it had almost completely surrounded the clearing
1: the old brendan might have panicked at a sight like this but the hot shots training and team building had served him well he remembered that a wildfire moves faster uphill which meant they needed to get below it He pointed Chris toward a dense thicket down slope and ran full force toward it.
0: The brush didn't give. Brendan screamed at Chris to get behind him and push. Using their combined strength, they slowly forced their way forward, moving inches at a time as the fire closed in, roaring like a freight train. At last, Brendan saw a sight that made his heart leap, a patch of asphalt just a few feet ahead. With one final monumental effort, the 21-year-old shoved forward, only to find that he had no strength left. His legs collapsed underneath him. It was all over. But then, Brendan felt a hand on his shoulder. His crewmate, Chris, dragged him onto the asphalt just as the brush exploded into flames. The two firefighters coughed and gasped on the roadside, grateful to be alive. But there was no time to lie around and rest. They quickly hauled themselves up to rejoin their colleagues. Brendan was shaky and exhausted. He wanted nothing more than to go home to his daughter and never respond to another call.
1: But fighting wildfires was the life he had chosen. And in little more than a week, Brendan and his colleagues would come face to face with a blaze more terrifying than he could even imagine coming up, we'll see how the Granite Mountain Hotshots took on one of the fastest moving wildfires in Arizona history. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Now, back to the story.
0: On June 18th, 2013, 21-year-old Brendan McDonough and his crewmate, Chris McKenzie, narrowly escaped being burned alive on Arizona's Granite Mountain. Afterward, Brendan wanted nothing more than to hole up at his home with his daughter. But with his hotshot brothers and citizens of Prescott depending on him, he found the courage to keep on fighting. After his close call, Brendan continued fighting the Dosey fire with his crewmates for three more days. When it was over, his body finally collapsed. He came down with the flu and had to ask for a couple days off to get back in
1: shape. This was the height of fire season and the superintendent couldn't afford to lose anyone, but he knew he had to give his young crewman time to recuperate. As survival expert John Lofty Wiseman notes in the SAS Survival Handbook, Good health is critically important in disaster scenarios. After a period of high stress and fatigue, adequate rest can mean the difference between life and death.
0: Brendan appreciated the break, but he also knew that his brothers and mentor were counting on him. So after just two days of rest, he went back to work on the first morning of what would soon become known as the deadly Yarnell Hill Fire. He arrived at the station on June 30th, 2013, at half past five in the morning. On a whiteboard where the crew tracked their energy level with percentage points, Brendan wrote that he was feeling, hell yeah.
1: Although Brendan used it as an opportunity for humor, the whiteboard actually served a serious purpose. Every time they went out in the field, the hotshots were risking their lives. Knowing how their teammates were faring could be critical to the group's survival. It let the rest of the team know when they should raise their defenses, reassign work, or pick up the slack to keep everyone safe.
0: After the near disaster in the Dosey Fire 12 days earlier, the Granite Mountain Hotshots definitely needed to be on alert. Most of them had spent 28 of the past 30 days on duty. And by now, even their iron-willed leader, Eric Marsh, was feeling the strain. The superintendent wrote on the whiteboard that he was at 68% that morning, perhaps knowing the team had a long day ahead of them. Shortly after Brendan arrived at the station, Eric called the men together for a briefing. He informed them that a fire that now spanned 300 acres was threatening the tiny town of Yarnell, 30 miles south of Prescott. The Granite Mountain hotshots had been called in to help contain it. That was all he knew
1: terse and to the point, the briefing was typical of Eric's low-key attitude, but it may have belied an underlying tension. As head of the crew, Eric should have had more details about the fire, but thus far, this was all the information he'd been given. That meant he'd have to wait until they reached the fire's response headquarters to get a full idea of the task before them.
0: With decidedly less enthusiasm than they'd had going into the Dosey fire, the hotshots loaded up. Eric drove his Ford F-550 superintendent's truck. Brendan and Chris climbed into one of the department's two buggies, crew transport vehicles packed with power tools, medical equipment, and other gear that would help contain the fire. Most of the hotshots slept inside the buggies on the way to Yarnell. They were all worn out from weeks of nonstop work, and by the time they reached their destination around 8 a.m., the Arizona sun was already blazing. The fire's command center was located in the town of Yarnell, Arizona, a town of about 650 residents that lay far from the blazes' current path. The Granite Mountain hotshots parked their trucks alongside the main drag, and Eric went into the command center for a briefing. Meanwhile, Brendan, Chris, and several other crew members milled around outside. Brendan passed the time scoping out the town. He knew Yarnell's quaint shops and Old West history well, having grown up in a similar town just 30 minutes north. But this was his first time seeing Yarnell from a firefighter's perspective.
1: He noticed that the town was wedged in a canyon between two steep, dry hillsides. He also observed that there was just a single road that passed through town, meaning there were only two possible ways out. Fortunately, the fire was currently several miles away from Yarnell, and from what Brendan could tell, it didn't represent much of a threat. He saw smoke rising from the hillside in a slow-moving, light gray cloud and interpreted it as a promising sign. Generally speaking, the lighter the smoke, the more stable the fire, and a less active fire is easier to contain.
0: Brendan pointed out the pale, lazy cloud in the distance to his crewmate, Chris. He joked that with a fire that small, they'd be home in time for dinner. Chris responded with a hopeful laugh. But when Eric emerged from the station, it was easy to see he didn't share their optimism. Eric instructed the men to load back up and head toward the fire line. He'd give them further instructions when they got there.
1: So back the crew went into their buggies, with Eric leading in his F-550. They wove through the narrow streets of Yarnell, passing by mobile homes and quaint little houses. Along the way, a firefighter from another crew, who was hitching a ride, helped the men get oriented on a map. He also pointed out a nearby ranch, which he called Boulder Springs, a place devoid of vegetation and an ideal safe zone if the fire should happen to turn their way. Soon, the trucks reached the end of the asphalt. The crew continued into the foothills along a dirt road as far as they could. Then they parked in a clearing, shouldered their gear, and began the long hike up to the fire line.
0: Brendan marched in the middle of the single-file group. He'd come a long way since his early days in training when Eric had to run beside him to get him to finish. Even so, the heat and the dust were stifling and he found himself praying they'd reach their destination soon and get the job done quickly. After about a mile of uphill hiking, Brendan crested a ridge and caught sight of the fire in the distance. It was burning steadily away from them, now moving toward the tiny village of People's Valley, a couple of miles north.
1: But as Eric reminded the crew, conditions could change in an instant. Arizona was entering its annual monsoon season, a period each summer when air pressure changes stir up thunderstorms and dangerous wind. Unexpected gusts could feed the fire and cause things to spin out of control. So their job was to cut off the fire from the rear. Doing so would ensure it couldn't change direction and head toward Yarnell.
0: The first step toward containing the fire was building a fire line. When Eric called for volunteers, Brendan immediately stepped forward. The superintendent chose him to lead the crew for the very first time. Brendan was determined to make him proud. Brendan's team went to work, cutting down trees and digging up brush along the mountainside. By 11 a.m., they'd cleared a swath of land a few hundred yards long and several feet wide. But Brendan had a feeling it wouldn't be enough.
1: He'd been mistaken about the fire's intensity. Listening in on the radio, he heard that it had now quintupled in size, from 300 to 1,500 acres. Even worse, the wind was picking up. As the sun climbed into the sky, the temperature continued to rise. This meant the flames were getting higher and hotter.
0: Brendan doubled his efforts. Within half an hour, his team cleared an expanse that seemed completely fireproof. When Eric arrived to check their progress, he congratulated Brendan on a job well done. The young firefighter basked in his mentor's praise, but it didn't lead to the type of assignment he might have hoped for. Right after putting him in charge of the team, Eric relegated Brendan to lookout, monitoring the weather and reporting any changes he saw.
1: This was a critical job, but a dull one. It meant standing out in the hot sun for hours on end. It also meant being isolated some distance from the fire while his crewmates were gathered elsewhere.
0: Brendan disliked the idea of being stuck on his own, but he resisted the urge to express his disappointment. Instead, he did his best to find a good lookout spot. Then he headed toward it, calling to the crew that he'd see them later. Eric responded, this side or the other.
1: Brendan didn't think much about his supervisor's parting joke until later, but even in the moment, it might've had more significance than the young firefighter realized. Eric was engaging in gallows humor, an ironic joke made in a desperate situation. This could indicate he was more worried than he seemed. According to behavioral science journalist Eric Joffe, gallows humor is a survival mechanism that helps people manage extreme situations. He writes, An ability to laugh at rough moments can reduce the negative emotions surrounding a stressful event and also create the positive feelings associated with amusement in general. Put together, those two affective swings can enhance a person's coping powers.
0: And that would soon be exactly what the hotshots needed. Brendan made his way to the lookout point on a bluff about a half mile away from the crew. He could see the fire growing as it moved toward People's Valley but there wasn't much he could do about it, other than watch and try not to roast in the sun.
1: Every so often, Brendan checked the instruments from his weather kit and called out new information over the radio. He wrote down notes on the temperature, wind speed, and direction, and cloud cover. These details were critical information for Eric and other commanders. Weather conditions indicate air currents, which help predict how fast and in what direction a fire will move. Knowing that saves property and lives.
0: As the afternoon wore on, Brendan grew increasingly concerned about the information he had to report. Clouds were gathering on the horizon and the wind was rising. He heard voices calling on the walkie that gusts were whipping up the flames and the fire's front had doubled in length. Brendan began scanning the horizon, hoping to see signs of rain, which would slow the fire and help cool things down. But as far as he could see, not a drop fell, and the pressure continued to rise. Then, around 3.25 p.m., Brendan noticed something that shook him to his core. A gust of hot air struck him in the face.
1: Up until now, the wind had been coming out of the south, behind him, but the gust Brendan felt had come from the north, which meant the fire had now turned and was running in the opposite direction.
0: Not only that, it was also moving with incredible speed. Within 20 minutes of feeling this first blast of wind, the fire crested a ridge about a quarter mile off and started racing down the hill toward him. For the second time in two weeks, Brendan was about to come face to face with an out-of-control wildfire, and this time, he was on his own.
1: Coming up, we'll see how Brendan escaped death once again while his crewmates fell directly into the line of fire. Here's a cool fact.
0: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
1: Now back to the story.
0: On June 30th, 2013, the Granite Mountain Hotshots were called to what seemed to be a small routine blaze in Arizona's Weaver Mountains. But around 325 that afternoon, 21-year-old Brendan McDonough noticed that the wind was changing. That meant the fire was now heading directly toward him and the 650-person town of Yarnell, about 1,000 feet below.
1: By now, Brendan had about two years' experience under his belt, and he knew that the most important step to survival was not to panic. But he'd barely escaped death less than two weeks before, and the young firefighter couldn't help feeling pangs of anxiety as he saw the flames coming his way. To keep himself calm, he focused on a trigger point, a ditch about 300 yards away that he'd scoped out earlier in the day, This was a visible boundary line, a place at which, once the fire had crossed, the firefighters would have to disengage and move to safety. The drainage ditch that Brendan had picked out was far enough that the wildfire shouldn't be able to cross it without giving Brendan time to fall back to a new position.
0: Unfortunately, as Brendan was about to learn, this blaze was not like other wildfires. Just seven minutes after turning in his direction, the flames reached Brendan's trigger point. As the young firefighter watched in amazement, they leapt across the ditch and began chewing through the brush in all directions.
1: Brendan had learned from experience how quickly a wildfire could jump out of control, but this was beyond anything he'd imagined. The typical safety measures no longer applied. If he didn't get out now, he'd be done for.
0: Radio chatter faded into static as the energy from the fire scattered signals. For a few terrifying seconds, Brendan was completely cut off from his crew. But then, in one clear moment, he heard his supervisor's voice on the walkie saying, Donut, it's time to get out of there. Brendan didn't have to be told twice. He threw his weather kit into his bag and ran for his life. Sprinting with all his strength, he heard the fire roaring behind him, just like he had 12 days before. He thought of himself being overcome by a wave of flames and burned alive. Brendan's mind raced to figure out how to escape from this deadly peril. He knew the chances of outrunning the fire were extremely slim, and unlike in the Dosey fire, he didn't have a partner to rely on for help.
1: One option was to use his fire shelter, an aluminum sack built to resist extreme heat. Although zipping himself into this protective covering could save his life, there was also a chance that he might be burned alive inside it.
0: As Brendan contemplated this horrific possibility, he raised his radio to call out to his brothers one last time, but then to his amazement, he saw something that almost seemed like a mirage. A utility terrain vehicle roared into the clearing, driven by the supervisor of another hotshot crew. His name was Brian Frisbee, and he'd seen the blaze approaching Brendan's position. He raced up to the young firefighter and told him to jump in. Then they sped downhill away from the flames. It was the second time in two weeks that a fellow firefighter had saved Brendan's life. And once again, he was overwhelmed with relief. But this time, he didn't pause to dwell on it. Without even stopping to catch his breath, he asked Brian to radio Eric for further orders. The superintendent was relieved to hear from him. Now that he knew Brendan was safe, however, it was time to put him back to work.
1: Eric knew that if the fire stayed on course, it would reach the village within the hour. With that in mind, he felt the hotshot's trucks would be needed in town, so he told Brendan's rescuer to drop the young man off in the clearing where they'd parked. Brendan could move the vehicles to a rendezvous point on a nearby road.
0: Thus, for the third time that day, Eric was trusting the young firefighter to handle an important task on his own. And although Brendan disliked being cut off from his crewmates, he was determined not to let his mentor down. But he soon discovered this was easier said than done. By the time Brendan got back to the trucks and started driving down the hill, the fire had already reached the outskirts of town.
1: Evacuation calls had been made to Yarnell residents about an hour before, but the system was out of date. Many of the numbers listed with the city directory were no longer in service. As a result, the first notice many locals had received of the fire was the sight of flames reaching their backyards.
0: Now, frightened residents were rushing to their vehicles in a frantic effort to escape the two-lane street leading through the town was jammed in both directions. As Brendan struggled to maneuver his truck up the crowded road, he saw firefighters running from house to house, yelling at all remaining residents to get out. The smoke was so thick that the sky was dark as night. Embers fell like burning hail, setting everything they touched ablaze. Rattled by flashbacks to his near-death experience two weeks before, Brendan somehow forced himself to keep going.
1: Then, just as he reached the rendezvous point, he heard Brian, the man who'd saved his life in the UTV, call out on the radio. The first structures had been compromised. Flames were engulfing Yarnell. He told Brendan to go past the rendezvous point and get to another location deeper in town as quickly as possible. Brendan could hardly believe what he was witnessing. Just hours ago, he'd been joking with his crewmates about a tiny smokestack far in the mountains. Now, the Yarnell Hill fire was a life-or-death battle for all of them. And in this moment, the blaze was definitely winning. Thanks for listening to Survival. We'll be back next week to see the Granite Mountain Hotshots confront a 3,000 degree firestorm as Brendan races to save the town of Yarnell.
0: For more information on the Yarnell Hill Fire, amongst the many sources we used, we found Brendan McDonough's book, Granite Mountain the first hand account of a tragic wildfire, its lone survivor, and the firefighters who made the ultimate sacrifice, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Survival and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify.
1: Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Survival, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
0: To stream Survival on Spotify, just open the app, type Survival in the search bar.
1: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time.
0: Survival was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Travis Clark, and Paul Leviskin. This episode of Survival was written by Megan Dane with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Irma Blanco and Tim Johnson.